Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What matters most? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Sometimes... At the end of the day, I wonder what my mother would think about my life if she was alive now. The truth is, I'm living a life I really never imagined possible. I never imagined living a life beyond surviving. I never imagined anything beyond happy. Never in my life was I considered the capable one. I was not particularly smart. So if a person like me can do something, then anyone can. This is me, Ronnie Khan, standing before you in my naked truth. Ronnie Khan, that was one of the most powerful things I think I've heard in a very long time. It takes a lot of courage to do something like that, especially for someone like you. You founded Oz Harvest. You've got a big public profile. What was the story behind it? Yeah, it was about the most vulnerable I've been in a very long time other than writing my book, which which clearly um, covers a lot of, of the warts and all of who Ronnie Khan is. Yeah, it it was not easy to let that out because when I look at it, I see an old woman and it's not the image I have of myself, but um, it seems to have struck a chord. Why were you so emotional, do you think? It was very confronting because even if you want to live the most authentic life and think you're the most honest you can be, there's certainly still some elements that we hide behind you know and and this was really me selling me and I'm I'm not very good at doing that in a way that isn't authentic and real so my daughter-in-law really believed this would be meaningful and whilst I said I understand completely how powerful it might be this is me and this is my life and do I want people to see me like that but um, once I'd done it and got a response it felt like Maybe it was important to let it go out into the world. So I have to say I have had the most extraordinary responses from both male and female observers of it. It's the vulnerability that's so engaging. I think it encapsulates the courage it took to tell your story so honestly. As you've done in your new book, Repurpose Life, It actually says, you know, we can all make mistakes. And I must confess, I had been to dinner at your home with your then partner. And when I read the book, I was gobsmacked about how honest you were in the journey of dealing with it, especially when so many friends and family had told you they didn't think he was right for you. I guess where it strikes a chord is 
you were so enormously successful publicly, but privately, you had to admit, you made a big mistake. I can imagine before the book was published, you must have been quite worried. Oh, listen, even putting it in the book was a huge dilemma for me. I co-wrote the book with my daughter-in-law, which in itself is a fascinating and has been a beautiful experience, but certainly had moments of tension. And when I shared, you know, the impact of, of Anton and that partnership, I was sharing it in the spirit of her understanding who I was. And when she came back to me with that chapter, I said, oh, I wasn't planning on putting that in the book. She said, well, there's not even any doubt that has to be in the book. So part of the struggle for me from the time we wrote the book was, okay, I'm being pushed in the best possible way. I'm being confronted in a way that why am I doing this book? If I'm doing this book because I totally believe that I have a message to share and that I want people to understand that purpose is not something that is only for the lucky, the few, the successful, those people who happen to start a charity or some significant work. It is for every single one of us. Then I have to let go, let down my guard. And so that has been a journey. And when the book was released, I have to tell you, I thought I might have to go and live under a rock or hide somewhere. But I'm, I have. I, again, the response, I, I'm now very comfortable with the book. So what do you think is the message to all women about relationships? Look, I think the most important thing, apart from the fact that he wasn't who he said he was, I was not living who I wanted to be. And I was bought, you know, and I think that it was, I, I understand why and how it happened, but I think many of us often stay in that kind of relationship because we don't really know how to get out of it. I adored him. He treated me in a way that no man had treated me. And quite honestly, that was precious. And that's what I fell for. And that's, I think, oftentimes, I could see how people could get into an abusive relationship, how people could find themselves with the wrong person. For me, the biggest lesson and the reason I could get out of that was because my values ultimately just won out in that I couldn't, even I couldn't, I, I didn't need that anymore. I had experienced it and the vacuousness, the emptiness of it, of just more and more without, if we'd have been so wealthy and then could live wealthy, and then give and do. I, there's no value judgment about having lots of money and being a wonderful philanthropist. My challenge was not only did we not have the money that I thought he might have, it was that he didn't have the other side, the value part of being privileged and then sharing your privilege. And that's when it struck me so greatly that the two things, he wasn't who he said he was, but that I couldn't live who I truly wanted to be in that relationship. What's it like for a woman at your stage in life starting again? Yeah, it was, again, very and continues to be. You know, I, I then um, left another relationship and for the first time am living alone and have learned how to live by myself and not be lonely. And I chose to rather live alone than be lonely within a relationship. It's confronting again because 
quite honestly, if you'd have said to me that I wouldn't find a new partner, I would have said I was sure that some years down the track, I would probably find somebody. I haven't yet. And I say yet because I am now in such a different place that if a soulmate, a friend, the right person popped into my life, I think I'd know it and I would jump at the opportunity. But I don't need it in the same way that I did in all those other relationships. And I think that is an incredibly wonderful place for me to be in. If there's one learning from writing this book, Ronnie, having it published, receiving the responses, what's it been? It's been it's been quite enriching and incredibly validating. You know, what's so interesting is through building Oz Harvest, I've been validated so many times. As far as I'm concerned, I've been this extraordinary vessel to bring this to life. And I'm so extraordinarily blessed and privileged to be that that vessel. Writing my book is really the first time that I've shared some of me. Warts and all, this is who I am. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'm encased in yellow and I am positive, but it is also a very, very normal and I and I'm not saying anyone thought I wasn't normal, so don't get me wrong. But yeah, in sharing the book it was saying, well, this is really who I am. And I think for some people, I think in my Oz Harvest world in the beginning, they were like, oh my God, what is this book going to say? What is it going to do? But it's turned out to be, let's put it this way, the people who don't like it or who haven't thought it's very good or it hasn't resonated with have not told me. And that's their problem, not mine. The people who've come back to me and shared that it struck a chord, that there's been something all along. I've had people say, share with me that they've made marked passages throughout the book that will fundamentally support them, help them change, allow them to. And these are men and women, different ages. And that's what's so exciting for me, that the message that I wanted to get across is that each and every one of us have within us the ability to be the very best each and every one of us can be. And it's not about where you were born and it's not about choosing at some point. You know, I didn't choose when I was four or five or six to be a charity queen in inverted commas. I stumbled across that. And we all stumble and bumble through life. And if we can learn to take the best out of those lessons, that's when we start living a full life. Not when we look around at somebody else's life and say, they look so successful. I want what they've got. It's wanting what it is we each need for ourselves. The beautiful part about the book is two things. So number one, there's not a lot of money to be made out of making a book unless or selling a book, unless it does become a bestseller. And if it does, well, that's awesome. But a percentage, so first of all, Murdoch have committed that for every book sold, two meals will be delivered. And I, out of the little that I get after we share with everyone who's involved in the book, a percentage also goes to Oz Harvest. So the more books we sell, the more meals we can deliver. Okay, let's look at Oz Harvest for a minute. What has lockdown done to your business? Lockdown was actually an opportunity whilst it has been a crisis. There's 50% more need since lockdown. That means there is probably another million people who are now, I, I call them in a way they're hidden hungry because 
They've never needed food relief before. They wouldn't have known how to even ask for it and yet have found themselves not having fallen through the tracks through bad mistakes that they made through their lives, but through by virtue of the fact that the global pandemic hit and their businesses were hit so badly that they lost their jobs. And these are people who in a million years would never have thought that could happen to them. From our point of view, it meant we re-examined our impact and where we needed to focus. And it's been very, very powerful because we've rolled out new programs. And one of them, which I just love, I'll share the story with you, that one of the programs we, we rolled out through COVID, we call them hamper hubs because there's a whole cohort of people who had no government assistance. They're international visa holders. They're uh, casual workers. They're international students whose, as an industry, has brought Australia billions of dollars and they got nothing. They all lost their casual jobs and had no support. And so at these hamper hubs, we've curated these beautiful boxes that have got fresh produce as well as really quality staples from oil to pasta to, to really providing a meal for a week until the next hamper. And I got a message this week from recipients who said, we don't call these food boxes. We don't call them hampers. We call them dignity boxes. Now, to me, that is just so wonderful because everything I do and everything Oz Harvest stands for is about providing dignity and respect for those people who need our services. The restaurants across the country that have closed down, now, look, they were a big part of your business in terms of supplying the food that Oz Harvest collected. What has that meant for the fundamentals of your business? Well, for the very first time in 16 years, Oz Harvest has had to purchase food because the fluctuations of rescued surplus food have fluctuated so much up and down. Obviously, the minute the whole hospitality industry closed down, we had a very short burst of an extraordinary amount of food. Because if you can picture that every restaurant had planned, every hotel, every conference center had events booked for X amount of time, had fridges full of food that suddenly they could not use. So for a very short period of time, we collected more food than we've seen in a very long time. But the minute that was over, then the source of food became very, very um, fragile. How long did it last? I mean, COVID hit in March. Was it April, May? No, no, it was really March. In March, we realised when panic hit, supermarkets were, shelves were empty, a large source of our our food comes from supermarkets. So it became very apparent that the supply chain was very choppy and not reliable. And at that very same time, government started handing out funding to major businesses and to support different industries. But our industry, the for-purpose industry, got nothing. So I lobbied and got a bunch of other organizations to support that lobby so that our sector, which provides about 8% of the GDP, employs over a million people, should also be considered for funding. And we got funding, as Harvest got, but we got for the whole sector, for the emergency relief sector, for the essential services sector, which meant that we got funding so for the first time we could purchase food. 
And that allowed us to roll out all of our new programs. And that happened already by April. I know one thing, Ronnie, I would never get in between you and a funding opportunity. <laughs> Let's talk about the supermarket industry and Oz Harvest. How long did they commit? Did they waver at any time just due to the circumstances? No, I can tell you at that very first meeting when we realised when panic was hitting, pandemonium on the shelves, we met with our national partner, which is Woolworths. Brad Banducci, the CEO, met with me and said, Ronnie, you will not be disadvantaged. We will support you. And they, they did and have done. So from that point of view, as our major partner, they have never let us down. But the need became so huge that we also had to supplement that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You were born in South Africa, lived in a kibbutz, ran an events company. You have had a very colourful life. And then you founded Oz Harvest in 2003. Now, those stories in themselves are fascinating, but what really fascinates me about you, Ronnie, is your ability to convince others to sign up and get on board, especially in those early days. So what strategies did you employ to keep your volunteers motivated? You know, Sandra, it's such an interesting question because I am, I am not only am I not a strategic person, even the concept of a strategy. You know, when I went to Stardust Harvest, I didn't have a business plan. All I knew was there was food and I needed to collect. And so I'm smiling to myself if you could see me because my only strategy was sharing the impact. All I can ever do and have never wavered from is saying there is surplus food. There are hungry people. We need to connect that. If you believe in that, come on board. And the truth is people are enchanted by passion. Passion is infectious. Energy is infectious. And a lot of people walk around half dead. And so when you find someone very much alive because of the cause, not for any other reason, that is fascinating. And people have just supported me because of that. And, you know, I'm going to share that. I sat in on a meeting this morning where government has invested into a significant agreement to end and halve food waste by 2030 in line with the UN SDG goals, which were announced in 2017. And the reason I sat there smiling was that in 2015, I called together a roundtable of across the board, other food rescue organizations and everyone in the food supply chain in order to create um, this agreement. It's called a voluntary agreement for business. And I brought in a UK company and 
And because of that work, that UK company has just been assigned as one of the partners. This is through government, with government. That time we got government on board. And in fact, Australia has committed to halving food waste because of the work we did and because of banging on the doors in government house. And that is just so amazing because it's now about intervention and it's now about fixing the broken system. So on the one hand, it's BAU. We've got to keep feeding people. We've got to make sure that good food doesn't go to waste. But we have to actually fundamentally shift and change the system. You've recalibrated the system, Ronnie, profoundly. I mean, the outcomes will last forever, but you're also running a business in the not-for-profit and charity sector. So what is the right balance between paid staff and volunteers? Yeah, you see, right from the very start, because I never knew anything about charity, I ran Oz Harvest like a business, because as far as I'm concerned, Yes, I'm using other people's money, but the return on investment and the social return on investment is the most important thing I could ever do. So I never thought I absolutely have to get as many volunteers as possible. But I could have started a model that was using volunteer drivers to collect this food. But I knew that if I'm running a transport and logistics company, I have to have a driver that if Woolworths or the convention center, or the Hilton Hotel said, you can be there at nine o'clock. I've been a volunteer. Some days I didn't pitch. I didn't understand the ramifications of what my contribution was and that I couldn't run a business like that. So from day one, I needed funding to pay staff. And I've only once in all the years had somebody come to me and say, so how much money have you got in the bank and how much do you pay and your operations are too expensive? And I said, you know what? If you don't believe that I have to pay people to run this business in order to get the outputs and the impact that we have, then you're not the funder for me. So thank you so much, but we don't have to continue this conversation because Quite honestly, if philanthropists and and investors in social causes don't understand that you pay people to do the work that provides such an extraordinary return, then we have to keep looking or we have to re-educate and we have to repurpose everything about what we do. And that is a challenge because there certainly are people who say, I don't pay for staff, I'll pay for a vehicle that can have my logo on it. And so it's a constant tension in running a charitable business. But I now I think it would be very hard for any charity not to be as effective and as financially literate and business wise as possible. But when I started Oz Harvest, it definitely was one of the first that really looked at the value proposition of money. You are always on the lookout for new opportunities and you've set up something called Harvest Bites. What's that about? During COVID, what we saw was everybody was at home and we had lots and lots of chefs that didn't have any work. And we thought, what if we could get them in and we could create a little home delivery model to trial? And we started that, I think about May, April, May, June, maybe May, June just trialing with maybe 70 with the first orders we made were just to friends and family. And it's taken off and it's too beautiful. And we've had the most extraordinary chefs participate in it. 
And it's a money-making venture for us harvest. So if anyone at the moment, it's only in the Sydney area, is interested in ordering food on a Monday, well, you have to order the week before for the Monday. Each week, it's a different chef and it's beautiful food, sustainably prepared, and it allows us harvest to deliver another 40 meals while you have your dinner. Yeah, it's gorgeous. What an amazing idea. I can see that being replicated Australia-wide. Yes, it will. We just, we always pilot things in Sydney because that's head office and it's easy for us to manage. And then we create the model and roll it out nationally. So we're literally just working on that right now. What I love about it is it keeps chefs engaged with their target audience. And I guess those who love their food, their signature dishes, it must be a win-win. Exactly. And then it excites, it excites people because they think, wow, I've eaten that chef. Well, now that their restaurant is open, I, I'll go and eat more in their restaurant. So it's a little bit of, you know, it's, it's a way to, it's a circular way to give back. COVID has been such a challenging time for everyone on so many levels, not just physically and professionally, but also on the mental health front. What have you learned about yourself? I've been working from home now for eight months. I'm only back in the office now one day a week. Um, I actually, interesting, I, I mean, I totally miss seeing all my people. But it, again, brought out the best in us. I started communicating every day to the whole team. So that's to all 200 people nationally. And we've continued doing that. And it's very precious. I started having management meetings every day, short half hour at the beginning of the day through COVID, which we now have chosen to continue because it's just a beautiful way to connect. So I've learned that I can work really, I'm working more and harder than I've ever worked at home, I think. And I think that I worked quite hard before. But um, I think that I'm adaptable very good with change. And so that in a leader is also helpful because I can look around my team and make sure or try and empower them to manage change and feel safe and secure in a very uncertain climate. You know, we all require techniques to help us through times like these. What techniques are you employing or you've discovered that work in this very different universe? Well, I love, I love my Zoom. I was doing my Zoom uh, personal trainer. I was doing, I do my Zoom yoga. I still do it and I love it. And that's a couple of times a week. Now that we're not in lockdown anymore, I do get up very early and go for a walk. I find that very helpful. I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> I don't have music on. I'm literally walking so that my mind can unclutter and unclear. <laughs> I'm the only person that doesn't have little white things coming out of my ears <laughs> when I walk. I must admit, I am a fan of the quiet and finding time to just be in your own space. When you're managing staff, though, not everyone copes as well. Absolutely. And so in terms of our teams, again, I think communication and connection is a huge tool. So every one of the management team connected very deeply with their own teams. And, and that connection has become much stronger than it was ever before. Why do you think that is? Why? Because when you're sitting alone at home, if you're thinking, will I have a job? Won't I have a job? You know, I've got all this work to do and I'm all by myself. 
But if you know that at midday, you're going to check in with your team, there's going to be a trivia night once a week, there's going to be a social thing that we did, that keeps you connected. It's all about feeling like you belong and not losing that connection. And so for us, those tools of staying very close Every few weeks, we do either a feel-good session or just an update session. Even though my comms and our comms, after a while, the comms started going that I did Mondays and Fridays and the rest of the team did the rest of the week. Even if I had nothing to say, I just would write, just letting you know that I'm just thinking of each and every one of you. I've got nothing to update you. There's no new money coming. There's no new partnerships coming in, but I'm just letting you know that I am here, you are there, and, and I'm thinking of you. The messages we got back, the staff saying that they found that so incredibly comforting to know that we were sharing. There were days that were better than others. There were days that were worse, and we acknowledged them. And we also gave our EAP, our Employment Assistant Program, we kept saying, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling challenged, please, we added extra sessions. Anybody could go. And people did utilize that service. And it's hugely important to recognize that there were people who struggled at home. You're clearly someone that delegates well. Well, I've learned to delegate well. I I didn't think I could. And it has been a struggle because really for the first sort of 13, for the first 10 years, you know, it was me and a very small team. And it's only in the last five years that I've really started bringing on a management team and a structure because for so many reasons, of course, one person as the business grew, one person, it's not sustainable. And two, you have to think about succession and you have to think, you know, I I won't be in this role forever. I will always stay connected to Oz Harvest and have some kind of executive or non-executive role, but I will certainly not be the CEO forever. And so it's really building and empowering a team. And I've learned to delegate. Trust me, in the beginning, I'd say, okay, you know, when I had my first head of operations, it was like, okay, what's, what's happened with the vehicles today? What's happened with our drivers? Until I had to learn to say, that is your role. There's more important stuff for me to do because that is being taken care of. And so delegation now, yeah, it is, it is a very, very wonderful thing to be able to delegate and empower other people to do their job well. Ronna, your story is extraordinary. What's the next chapter for you? So I think for sure I set up Oz Harvest not to create the biggest food rescue organisation, but really to end some of those challenges that I saw. So I think really getting more deeply involved in the intervention systems, in understanding our behavior so that we can shift and change, I definitely think that in some way I want to be involved in and as harvest to be involved in the interventions in fixing this broken system. For me personally, I believe that perhaps I have a role in helping businesses and individuals connect head and heart. I think that whilst there are millions of strategies to be the best manager, to be the best leader, to be the best strategist, to be this, I think it's so fundamentally important to bring the whole of yourself to everything you do. And nine times out of 10, most people leave a piece of themselves at the door when they go to work because they don't feel safe, because they feel they have to protect and they're worried. And 
I feel that by bringing one's whole self to work, we unleash and unlock a creativity and an ability that we often don't even know is there until we do that. So I want to help people do that or businesses do that. That's what I want to do down the track. (laughs) Always one eye on an opportunity. Where did that sense of charity come from? I think it's when I started asking myself, what does the world need from me? Not what can I take from the world? Clearly, my, my mother was, you know, volunteered from the day that I was born in different organizations. I've seen inequality. I've lived through extraordinary times. And I think I'm very privileged and blessed to have imbibed values that, that I can try and live by. And it's always to try and live by. All we can do is be our best and try to be our best. And that might not always be good enough, but it's got to be good enough while you're trying. The new face of homelessness in Australia in the last couple of years has been and is older women. Is that what you're seeing on the streets? Absolutely. And that is such an important part of standing up for women and helping to empower women so that they two are not in a position that they have to fall between the cracks. But there's absolutely no doubt that women have a very high percentage of the new hungry. Yeah. How would you describe poverty in Australia at the moment? Poverty in Australia is when you have to, for some, it's as fundamental as needing a meal three times a day. But for others, it's when you have to make a choice between paying a medical bill, paying an electricity bill, fueling your car or putting food in your fridge. As far as I'm concerned, if you have to make a choice around those things, you are in poverty. And unfortunately, there are too many millions of Australians in that position. A bit of a cliche question now, but what would you say to your younger self? I'd say you've got everything it takes. Just enjoy it, be gentle on yourself and let it reveal itself. Well, Ronnie, it is a remarkable read, and I really want to congratulate you for being so honest and raw. Thank you. What a treat. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. 